0: Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. A community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today, 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 if you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out. Whether it's a paper or digital or an iPad or Android or something that you made in your backyard. Just pull it out. We're going to turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. As we look at verses 18 through 20. And this is something, discipleship is something that we talk a lot about, right? But uh, it's something that I don't, I really don't feel that we can talk about it too much. It's so essential. And this is why, this is, this is one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples. Would you read this with me? Let's read this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Can we pray for this word today as we talk about the thing that Jesus has told us and commissioned us to do? Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that fills us and enables us to have greater understanding about your word and empowers us to do what you've called us to do. So Lord, as we look to this important commissioning that's on all of our lives, those of us that call us followers of Jesus, Lord, help us today to figure it out, to not overcomplicate it, but also not to ignore it, but to do what you've called us to do. Lord, we give you thanks today, and I let every word of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock, my redeemer, my high place, and we give you all glory and praise. And everyone said together, amen, amen, amen. So we're talking about discipleship, and I, some of you may go, and again, I'm like, well, we need to. Dallas Willard says that discipleship is the great omission of Western Christianity. And this is a part of who we are. So I want to start off just with a a very simple definition of it. That when I think about this discipleship, we've kind of broke it down this way. That discipleship simply means following Jesus and inviting others to join you in following Jesus. Pretty simple, right? Let me say it again. Discipleship is following Jesus and inviting others to follow you in following Jesus. Pretty simple. You want to try just going for it and see if you know it? Say it with me. Discipleship is following Jesus and inviting others to follow in following Jesus. Perfect. Pretty good. We'll work on that. Okay? So that's basically it. But a but the, the key part in that is the word follow. See, follow is not just a casual walk, right? When, when Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men... He wasn't talking about a casual walk. He was talking about a, a wholehearted surrender of a life to Jesus. This is not just follow me to my favorite coffee house or follow me as we go kayaking, right? This is a, a deliberate surrender of our, of our life to Jesus. It is a complete turning over. It's a complete reordering of my life, allowing his spirit to fill me and to transform me. And when we look at that word discipleship, it actually means two things. It means that we are learning But we're also teaching. So what does discipleship mean? It means that we're learning and we're teaching. It's both of those things. For any of you that if you thought that you knew something, when you really began to incorporate it and you really began to learn it was when somebody asked you to teach something. How many times someone's asked you to teach something and then you're like, man, I really got to study now because I don't want to look like a buffoon up there, okay? Because when you're standing up, you own it. You want to see it. You want to be ready for questions. That's why discipleship is twofold. We need to be learning, always growing, because, because the counter to that is true is that when I know that I have to teach something, I'm personally growing, I'm personally learning, I'm personally engaging. One of the things, that, apart from Jesus, that made me become a better human was when I got married. Because when I got married, I was like, there's nowhere to hide now, is there? <laughs> <laughs> nowhere to run, right? There's, just, there's nowhere to hide. And then when I had kids, it was this other layer of, man, I really, I read every parenting book that was out there, did very little of it, but I read all the books and just worked on it. I became a better person through that process. Was I perfect? No. No. Growing, strong, it's, it's that aspect of discipleship, it's that learning and it's that teaching, right? It's, and it's, it's something that I, I think is important because last week we had people turn in questions and there were a lot of questions that got turned in about insecurity questions of like, I don't feel like I know enough, I don't feel like I, like, I, like I have what it takes to be it. For those of you that have had a child, have you ever felt that you were a, a parenting expert? No, I'm not. When I got married, I was not a marriage expert, Okay. Matter of fact, Stephanie's mom sat me down and said, are you sure you want to do this? True story, okay? Uh, that's another sermon. <laughs> you want to be my friend now, don't you? Okay. So it's walking it through. It's that whole process that as you walk through, it's that act of as you go, you grow, right? My predecessor, Pastor Bob, he used to always say that God directs a moving servant. As you go, you learn. When I learned how to play piano, my piano teacher didn't give me a book and said, go read about it and then see me in a year and see what happens, right? He sat me down, and as I was playing, he was correcting and showing me. As I played, he was modeling. He was showing me, you need to curve your fingers a little bit more. You need to do this a little more. And I've, I think I've told you the story about when I studied piano in university, I even had my piano professor come into the rehearsal room and go, you're practicing wrong, right? Now, she scared me to death. You know, she was uh, just this amazing professor. But she cared enough to come in and know that as you're playing, everything counts. She cared enough, and she knew me enough to go, that's Dwayne, and that's messed up. i got to fix that, okay? So she, met, she loved me enough to step into that process and do that. My basketball coach was the same way. He taught me as I was shooting, as I was playing, as I was doing the drills. He didn't give me a book just to read. Now, books and everything are great. I read a lot of books, and I love it. But we learn as we move. We learn as we grow. That's an important aspect about this. This is what the, did, what the disciples did with Jesus. They were with him, and as Jesus was doing stuff, they looked at him and said, I would love to do that. How do I do that? And Jesus, he would walk with them. And then there were times they would go off and they would come back, and they would tell Jesus, Jesus, I couldn't do that. What's wrong? And he would, he would give them instruction. One time he said, well, that's only, that only comes through fasting and prayer. You need to fast, you need to pray, you need to surrender your life, you need to be filled. This is the act of discipleship. It is as we go, we grow. And this may sound to some of us very easy because we do this in so many areas of our life, but as I said earlier, this is our greatest challenge. And this is often what many have called the great omission from Western Christianity. See, we can be good at sometimes convincing somebody and getting a head nod, but the act of discipleship surrender laying it down this is the great omission and this is the part that we need to figure out we need to figure out for church the big word but we need to figure it out here for our local gathering see we are the church assembled gathered this morning each of us those living stones we talked about several weeks ago but as we gather today we need to figure this out if we're going to be faithful to what God is called us to do because discipleship is essential to life this word discipleship that Jesus told us, it is essential to life. If we are to grow, if we are to become who God has called us to be, we need to engage in this growth process, and this only comes as we are disciples, this, this, this great intentionality. That's why when we look at, at the Bible, did you know that deci- that word disciple is in the New Testament 269 times? Do you know how many times Christian is in the New Testament? Three. I got three fingers up, right? Yeah, Three. Three, okay? Three times you got to do that. 269 times the New Testament mentions discipleship. We need to see how key this is. And and one, one commentator even said it this way. He said that the New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples of Jesus Christ. This is what it's about. The New Testament is about disciples. It's written by disciples. We need to engage with this. But we have a challenge because Christianity is often criticized. Have you ever heard anybody criticize Christianity? Right? They say, "I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want to be a part of it." And it's really sad because oftentimes, even though there's a cost, we talked about the gospel last week and how, when it comes to the gospel, there's two deaths: Jesus died for us, and then I need to die to myself so that I might live. But as it relates to Christian, as it relates to to, uh, to Christianity, often. A lot of the criticism comes from those following Christ that have not engaged in discipleship. They have not actively engaged in it. And so there's this separation from it. But see, the problem is not with Christianity. I mean, think about it th- this way. If you were playing basketball, how many basketball people we have out there? I know we're getting ready to be... We lost the Sonics, but we're getting a hockey team. So God gives us more than we had before, right? So, um. <laughs> but as it relates to playing basketball, if I miss a shot, is it the basketball's fault? Someone said, probably not, you're being kind, okay? Those, those who play basketball with me, fellas, when I miss a shot in basketball, is it the basketball's fault? No. Right? They laugh at me. It's not the basketball's fault. If I play a wrong note on the piano, it's not the piano's fault. It means that I need to engage more. I need to learn more. If it's basketball, learn more about basketball. If it's playing piano, I need to learn more about playing piano. Whatever it is that you do, the problem's not with the basketball right? I've never heard a deflate gate in basketball, okay? I know, old wound, I know, I know, you're all sad now, I know, I know, so. (laughs) If you only knew the things I wasn't saying in my head, okay? so, But as it comes to basketball or anything else, it's not the basketball's fault, and as it comes to following Christ, the problem's not with Jesus, the problem's with me, I need to be a stronger disciple of Christ, and we need to figure this out. See, our lack of discipleship in, especially in Western Christianity, has been pointed as the reason why two-thirds of the young people who grow up in churches today leave. Think about that. Two-thirds. And I get a lump in my throat every time I say that. Two-thirds of those who grow up with us across the board leave. And not, they don't just leave to go to college, or they don't just leave to get jobs. They leave as followers of Christ. We all know those people. We know who they are. Some of us, we still have a relationship with them. But there was something missing. And when, they've, when we've looked at it, when we've talked to people, when we've done the interviews, do you know what it's come back to? Discipleship. There's been a lack of discipleship. So today, there's a lot of times we focus on the two-thirds who left. But I want to talk about the third that has stayed. Because one-third has stayed despite all that. And when we look at the reasons why they've stayed, they've stayed because they have engaged wholeheartedly in discipleship. Whether I lacked it, whether you lacked it, somehow they engaged in discipleship. And they have built what David Kinnaman calls a resilient faith. He's written this amazing book, Faith for Exiles. And in it, he goes through and he he dives into this. There's this resilient faith in followers of Christ that say, no matter what, I will be a follower of Christ. No matter what. I am going to serve Jesus. I'm going to surrender my life down. It's a resilient faith. This is what we're talking about this. David Kemp even says the goal of discipleship today is to develop Jesus followers who are resiliently faithful in the face of cultural coercion and who live a vibrant life in the spirit. These are the resilient disciples, the third who stayed, even though I'm still here. They still stayed, right? They stayed in there. And if you look in your listening guide today, which I invite you to pull it out, in the bulletin, you'll see some notes on that. And I've outlined the five areas that David Kinnaman has outlined about what makes them a resilient disciple of Jesus Christ. Take that, read that, look at that. Lots of great free online resources, great books where you can dive into it more, and we're going to be talking more about it in the future. But one of the things as, as we look at this is they stayed in the community, One of the characteristics of these resilient followers of Christ is that they stayed in community. Now, is community always easy to stay in? No. Is your family always easy to stay in? Kids, you can say no, but you're going to stay. You're going to stay with me, okay. (laughs) We're going to stay together. It's tough. Community is very difficult. But these resilient followers, they dug in so deep that they were willing to stay. They were willing to invest. They were willing to be a part of realize is important. Mark Sayers says it this way. He says that we tend to divorce spirituality from the church. That's us. We want God, but we don't want the church. How many of you have ever heard that before, right? I believe in God, but I don't want the church. I don't want Christians. I just, it's just, I want to separate from it. But he's outlined a key thing. Mark Sayer says it this way. He says, however, the great flaw of our search for spirituality and faith minus church Is the unconfronted life. Listen to that. The great flaw of our search for spirituality and faith minus church is the unconfronted life. Without church, we have more private fantasy than real life. Real conversion, real discipleship demands that eventually its recipient be involved in both the muck and the grace of actual church life. We need each other, we need to be together. But sometimes it's messy, isn't it? Every day it's messy. Life is messy. But we need, yeah, like, yeah. But we need to commit to this today. Last week at the end, we were talking about the gospel. I had everyone turn in cards about their questions about discipleship because we need to figure this out together And I was amazed and want to say thank you for answering and for putting in those questions last week. We're going to spend some time today diving in to do that. And to help me dive into that, I'm going to bring two of my friends. Uh, One is Stephanie Smith and the other is Kim Martinez. Would you hear from my friends this morning as we come together to talk about this? Come on, they're awesome. They're awesome. You should be clapping. You don't don't have to listen to me the whole time, okay? So... um, I've asked these two to come up. Dr. Kim is an ordained pastor with the Assemblies of God. Uh, She also has a doctorate, and she's also our group director here at Shoreline Community Church. So she's been studying this, she's been investing in this. Uh, She's brought a lot to bring a lot of growth to it. This is a part of our intentional investment in discipleship. And then Pastor Stephanie, uh, she has done a lot in discipleship, a lot in mentoring, a lot of mentoring one on one, a lot of group sessions. And she has also spent a lot of time into this. If you hear me say smart things, I'm probably just repeating stuff that she's told me, okay? <laughs> so, uh, so today, we're going to be, be diving it in. And to do this, we're really diving into one of the key questions that came last week. And here's one of, of the questions that you turned in. And it's, here it is. It says, I'm not sure what it means, talking about discipleship, and not sure what it looks like. I understand the theory of discipleship, but not the practice. How many of you are like, yeah, I've been there? I understand it in theory. I get it. I read it. But what does this practically look like? That's the key question that we're going to be diving in with others. And so, to kind of help us walk through, Stephanie's going to kind of lay out a roadmap today of our map as we look at t- two key questions. You want to talk about those a little bit?
1: Yeah. If we go back to the definition that we talked about earlier about what is discipleship, and we kind of broke it down, and we're going to really work hard in the remaining part of this to talk about discipleship without using the word discipleship. Because, you know, for some of us, we've grown up in, in times and periods within the church when it was highly programmatic and a rigid set. How many of you kind of, you know what I'm talking about. And other times where it was just kind of this loose idea that was like, yeah, discipleship, blah, 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 discipleship, blah, blah. And I don't even know what that means anymore, you know? So, but if we talk about this in terms of a concrete definition, I'm learning to follow Jesus and I'm going to invite others to follow Jesus as well, then it brings us to two questions. How do I follow Jesus, for one? And secondarily, how do I help other people follow Jesus? That is the essence of of what it means to be a disciple and to help disciple others. How am I going to follow Jesus and how I'm going to help others follow Jesus? Because it's both. It's both pieces to that. And so as we were talking about it this week, it kind of came down to this, this cycle, this process. There are six steps of it. And three of them kind of fit within each of those. So first of all, how do I follow Jesus? First of all, and these are in your notes, so this will kind of help guide a framework. First of all, I'm going to start a relationship with Jesus. Someone has introduced me to the idea that I can have Jesus as, as, as a friend, that I can know him, that he can change my life, that there's something about developing a relationship with Jesus that I want and I make a decision that, yeah, I'm going to surrender my life to him. I'm going to start following Jesus and then after I do that, that leads me to the second step of, of becoming a follower of Jesus. And that is simply I start growing in my relationship with Jesus. I'm getting to know him. It's like if I start a relationship with Kim and I say, oh, you know, I've seen this lady at church. And I'm going to go over and make an introduction. Hi, my name is Stephanie. Hi, my name is Kim. You know, hey, how, why don't we go out for coffee or something? Okay, that's how I start a relationship with Kim. Can I come? Maybe. (laughs) We'll see. Um, But I start a relationship with Kim, and then we start spending time together. I get to know Kim. I get to know what she thinks about. I get get to find out what's important to her, learn more about her background or about her family. I'm just getting to know Kim. Same thing happens in my relationship with Jesus. I'm getting to know him. I'm getting to know his family. I'm getting to know what's important to him. I'm, I'm discovering in, in the Word of God, in the Bible. I'm beginning to read and, and learn to hear His voice. I'm getting to know Jesus. And then that leads me to that third step. I'm reaching behind me because I thought the table would be right in front of me. Would you uh, want the table? Right I now? would love it. Uh, no, I'm good. Um, I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus. That leads me to step three. I'm gaining confidence in my relationship with Jesus. This is so huge. We can, I can know some things about Kim, I can know, hey, she's an introvert. She really doesn't like, you know, people kind of in her personal space. So I'm not going to. I can learn some things about that. <laughs> I'm going to tempt her. Uh, you know, I can learn, know some things about Kim. But as I gain confidence in my relationship with Kim I know what she's going to answer or how she's going to respond before I even ask. I can know that, hey, I can call her by a little, even this last week we were were teasing about that. I like touched her on the shoulder and I called her by by a nickname and I'm like, she's like, now I know you're in my personal space. That's how you know, I'm gaining confidence in my relationship. That adds an ease to that. That's really important when we think about how we gain confidence in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because as I get to know him and I get to know his heart, I know his voice, I know his priorities, that it makes me much more secure. I know what, what the Bible has to say, I know why the Bible is reliable. You know, I'm gaining confidence as I'm growing in that relationship that allows me to move into that next step of how do I invite others to follow Jesus. The more I get to know Jesus, the more confident I am in my faith, so then I can help invite other people to follow Jesus. And it looks like this. I start talking about my relationship with Jesus. Hey, Kim, you know, we've been hanging out for coffee for a while and stuff, but I really want to talk to you about something that's very important to me. You know, you, you know that I go to church, you know that, you know, however you want to lead into the conversation, that's natural for your relationship with another person. I want to talk to you about things that are really important to me. And perhaps for some of us, we've been in a relationship for a long time and have never felt confident enough to say, hey, let me talk to you about my friend Jesus. Let me talk to you about this other side of of me that I believe is going to live forever, and I want you to know about this too. But I'm able to start sharing that and start talking about my relationship with Jesus that allows me then to introduce her to a relationship with Jesus. As she hears me talk and as she asks questions and and in a non-confrontational way, I'm able to answer with grace and love and truth or, hey, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to go find out and we'll talk about that. You know, as we begin this easy relationship back and forth, this free interchange of, of, of her questions, my answers, my questions, me digging for answers, then that allows us to start moving toward a point where she has an opportunity to also accept, it, accept Jesus and begin a relationship with him. And then the last part of that discipleship process is now, as I gained confidence in my relationship with Jesus, I want to help my friend gain confidence in her relationship with Jesus. That is the essence of discipleship. I begin a relationship. I learn what it means to follow Jesus. I get to know him, I gain confidence. I begin to talk with other people, so I help them to know that it's possible to have a relationship with Jesus. She has an opportunity to meet Jesus, and then I help her grow in her relationship with Jesus, which looks like the very first three steps. She gets to know Jesus. She grows in confidence in her relationship with Jesus. Does that help? Um, just that simple flow, that's, what, that's the essence of discipleship. I'm growing, and I'm helping other people grow.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's very natural, because when you look at how Jesus did it, it's very natural. We try to be programmatic and systematic, and those are good things, but, I, but a lot of it is just, it's, it's that relationship, and I think that's what surprised so many people about Jesus. So, as we kind of dig deep into this a little bit, and again, this is all in your listening guide, I invite you to kind of follow along. Let's, let's kind of dig in a little bit, and maybe, Kim, you, you can talk about this kind of a little deeper, addressing some of these questions of, what does it mean to follow Jesus, that first question? What does that mean?
2: Um, I had a friend that put it very easily, doing the things Jesus did for the reasons he did them. Say it it, it again. Doing the things that Jesus did for the reasons he did them, Mm -hmm. which that second part kind of brought a lot of clarity, I Mm -hmm. think. We can, what would Jesus do? And we can extrapolate a whole lot of things. Right. But if we figure out his heart, then we respond to our current situations better with his heart.
0: There we we go. Aren't you smart? uh, Because some of the questions that kind of came up under that was last week we talked about what the gospel was. And so some of those questions were, um, as under that following Jesus, do we really understand the gospel, you know? Uh, Another question kind of following that was someone said, boy, I really need a mentor. I need someone who can help me uh, in walking with Christ and then we had, we had a lot of people that said, you know what, I have, have these addictions, I have these habits, hurts, and hangups, hang-ups, right, the Celebrate Recovery thing, so how do I follow Jesus in that?
2: So I think the most important thing that we miss in church is what is the gospel, because we make it something very convoluted, and the truth of the matter is the gospel is that we have free access to the throne room of heaven at any point in time. We don't have to earn our way into God's good mm-hmm. grace. Yep. And when you walk in that, throughout your day at work, you don't have to have things all lined up for God to pay attention to you. And that's the gospel. Mm -hmm. And your friends who don't know Jesus, they don't have to get it all right for God to answer their prayers. You can pray for them, and God will answer. He's introducing himself to them.
0: Mm -hmm. So even though I I have hang-ups and hurts... I can still follow Jesus, and he follows, I walk with him, leading that, being vulnerable, and what, and one thing that I would say in that is that's part of the reason why we gather together, that when we do have those addictions, when we do have those hangups and those things, that's why it's important to be together, to walk with each other, right? I mean, we've, we've all had them, we've all had them, and but, you know, and I would, I would ask you to raise your hands, but you only raise your hands for things like sea otters. So um, as you're going through, we all have them. That's something we have to walk out and do it. So th- I think that's a voice of the enemy saying, hey, you, you've got a problem. You can't walk in this. But I found that it's in my darkest hour that Jesus even presses in closer to me.
1: Yeah. And I would also say, I would add to that, that it also um, challenges our view of what does it mean to grow spiritually? What does spiritual formation look like? And I've, I've shared this before when I've spoken, but it was transformational for me when I had a different paradigm. Because for a long time, I felt like I'm traveling along a life of faith, and I make a mistake, and then I gotta start all over again. Anybody feel like that? It's like, oh, messed up. Okay, right back to the beginning. Instead of understanding our life as like this linear, this life of faith is a linear path where I hit a speed bump and then I've got to start all over and then I'm spending time making up to hit that same speed bump again, one of the mentors in my life described the spiritual life like a spiral. Mm-hmm. And as we're thinking about the life of faith, I begin this, this life of faith and I come along and I hit this speed bump. And I bring it to Jesus, and I ask for his forgiveness in that area of my, of, of my life. And then what do I do from there? Do I start back again? No. I keep going. Because God is going to keep digging at that issue in my life, whatever that is, as many times as it takes until that issue is done and over. And that may be one and done, you know, like skin cancer, sometimes you go and one time they they can remove it and that's it. They get the margins clear, you're done. And other times they've got to go back a few times until they get clear edges. It's the same kind of process. When God is bringing us to that area where we're having to come face to face with our failings, with our humanity, with our brokenness, he invites us to get back up and keep traveling with him. And so I keep Because God is changing me and he's moving me from glory to glory to glory. That's the transformational process. He will bring me back to that place again and again in his love until that is over. But I'm not starting all over. So when we think about bringing other people or inviting them into a life of faith and and life change that is only possible through the power of Jesus Christ... We're not going to be perfect because God's going to keep working on us and keep bringing us through that until we're looking a whole lot more like him. And the same process that gives us grace for ourselves and for each other to know that God's going to do the same thing in them. And there are going to be some things that God's going to deal with quickly, and and it's going to be over and done. And there are other things as we walk along with people that it's going to bring them back through things over and over. But our goal, as my mentor had said, our goal is Christ-likeness, not cloning And so we're trying to grow and become more like Christ and look a whole lot more like him as we grow in a life of faith. But we are not trying to clone our faith and overlay our experience with the Lord onto somebody else. It's too much. God has an individual spiritual path that looks like becoming like him. And that's it. And how he chooses to deal with that person and what sequence he deals with life issues, he is going to be faithful because he's the one that changes us.
0: Yeah. Well, it made me think about, you know, um, every time that you make a copy, it gets worse, doesn't it, right? Every time you make a copy, it gets less and less and less and less of what it is. So that's why it's so important that I'm not trying to replicate me. I'm pointing to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why followers of Christ, each generation gets better and better and stronger and stronger and stronger because they're not cloning dad or they're not cloning mom. Thank they're f- focusing on Jesus. That's, that's really good. That's really good. So that's, so that, 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 that whole first question of what it means to follow Jesus, you know, in that we have the things we talk about. It's getting to know him. You're reading your scripture. You're praying. You're doing those spiritual disciplines of just learning and knowing and gathering together. But we also had a lot of questions that kind of flow out of the second question. Because the second question is, how do I invite others to follow Jesus? How do I invite others to follow Jesus and that first one was, um, in that, in that, that Stephanie was talking about was, was talk about my relationship with Jesus. Kim, do you, you, you want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, I think first, um, I, I have to go back to the first question because I think a lot of times I have tried to skip to the second question. If you can't hear God's voice, it's really hard to help other mm-hmm. people um, hear His voice. And so I think that's part of the spiritual disciplines of putting ourselves in places where our natural tendencies to self-protect can be laid aside so that we can let the Spirit um, come in and change and transform us, and we start to hear God's voice. And then as we hear God's voice, then we trust, and we hear what the Spirit's saying to other people, and we're able to amplify it. We don't become the Spirit to them. We just get to come alongside what He's already doing, because God is... God is more concerned about the people in your life that don't know him than you are. Mm -hmm. And he's more concerned than you possibly could be because he wants to have relationship with them, and the spirit's already working. And so for me, that's where it starts is understanding that God is already at work and I get to come alongside what he's already doing and then helping them here. And for me, it starts with prayer. Um, I I start because I trust God. And so once I find God trustworthy, then I'm able to invite other people into that trust. And they start to know him because he's answering their prayers. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Well, it made me think when you talked about um, it's important (laughs) to be aware that God is already at work you know, that when I show up, it's not, here's the Savior, you know, it's, just, it's uh, Jesus is already at work, and that kind of, one thing that really helped me in inviting others and sharing is, is uh, when someone showed me the angle scale, and we have a picture of this, if we could uh, put that up, this is called the angle scale, okay, and basically what this does for me, it's not that this is a system or a program, but it's a way of kind of visually throwing out that people are already on a step because God is already moving in people's life. It's God's will that everyone would surrender and come to know him. And so as I looked at this because you know back in the in, in the 90s, you know back when I was in youth group in the late 80s, you know it was the way of like sharing your faith. It was almost like a sales call, right? You got to seal the deal. Seal it right now. You know, Dwayne, how many people did you lead the Christ today? I'm like, "No one. I'm a loser." Stop saying that. So it's, you know, it's, but when I, when I saw this, this just lit my world up and gave me confidence because it recognized that I'm not, I'm not out to convert you. I'm not out to sell anything to you. Jesus doesn't need me to do that, okay? This, this is about being a part of what God is doing and that when, when I'm talking to people, they may be at different steps. They may be at step one. And so on this one, you know, step one is there's no awareness of God. So by me coming into the life and just being a follower of Christ, a disciple, and being, being alive in the spirit, now it, it's waking up this awareness. You know, and then step two is some awareness. And then there's contact with Christians, right? Contact with, with people that uh, they, they, they know Christ. Do you know how many people in our city that, that will say, I've, I've never come into contact with, with a Christian? So many people. I've worked alongside people. Not here at this church, but I've worked alongside people. <laughs> when I worked in the coffee house, I was, the only, I was like one of the first Christians they ever met. Okay, that's a reality out there. Now the reality is they probably came across some that they didn't know were Christians, right? And that's kind of what we're talking about. But contact with Christians, then an interest in Jesus, then they start investigating, they start grasping the truth. Step seven, they understand the implications of truth about Jesus. Number eight, they're like, you know what? I, I'm starting to accept this Christian truth. There's something there. Uh, step nine, accept implications of becoming a Christian, and then ten steps later, a decision to surrender to Jesus. Ten steps in. Now, for some of us, you know, I was born to a Christian family. I was born to a loving relationship, people uh, who loved the Lord and had wonderful teachers and mentors around me. So a lot of these steps, I just kind of skipped over very quickly because I was there. But for some people, they haven't had that experience. And I think in our culture today, many haven't. And so these are some very difficult steps to walk through. And do we need to be in a hurry about this? No, right? Jesus didn't say in the next 24 hours, I want you to go out and just fix everything. It's a process, and when we try to rush the process or push the process or ignore the process, that's when I start to feel pressure because now I'm trying to be the Savior. I'm trying to be God, and I'm a terrible God, and you're a terrible God. There's only one God. And we need to listen and walk in this. And then after that, the things we talked about, gain confidence, right, experience life change. This is what the, what we often refer to as that sanctification, that process of growing in Christ, right, learning the disciplines, you know, sharing with others and ongoing growth where you're sharing. This just really, really lit me up, really lit me up.
1: Yeah, I think it's important And when we're looking at these steps, like you said, we're not in a rush with people. You know, one of the questions that came came up was, you know, I'm I'm comfortable sharing my faith with those around me, but I'm not comfortable with what feels like recruiting. Mm-hmm. Well, good for you, because yeah. you know that's just weird. <laughs> you know, I that whole that whole thought of well, I need to recruit people for Jesus. You know, that's not what it is. He said, "Come, follow me." And I will make you fishers of men. It's something I've been thinking a lot about these last couple of weeks. When Jesus gave that invitation to his disciples, to those who would follow and get to know him and become like him and then carry on his mission in the world, he said, come. That's a decision to build proximity to Jesus. Come, follow me, watch me, learn from me, do things with me, get to know me. And then who makes you a fisher of men? Do I make myself a fisher of men? No, Jesus said, I will make you the fisher of men. Mm -hmm. The only responsibility that he laid on the disciple was come and follow me. It's that simple, and it's always going to be that simple. We complicate things a lot in all the expectations we have for ourselves of who we should be and how we should get things done. But Jesus just said, come follow me. And as you're becoming like him, he transforms you. in that process so that he becomes the one who makes you capable of making fishers of men. That's not just something that I do on my own. That's Christ's work in me. I will make you fishers of men.
0: Yeah. One of the questions, and Kim, um, I'd, I'd like for you to talk with us a little bit. We, we got a lot of questions about what's appropriate at work. Have you ever thought that? You know, what's appropriate at work? And I don't want to feel like it's like, here comes a Christian, watch out, you know. Uh, how, what does that look like? And there's also that fear of, of being rejected, right? Like you're sharing your faith or you feel like you're pushing your faith. And for, and for a lot of people, too, I've talked to, to, to several people where the aspect of once I'm known as a Christian then I then I feel like I'm being overlooked for job promotion or job advancement or now people that were once my friends now they're pulling back so what does it look like as it comes to inviting others when you're when you're at work the place where we spend most of our day for so many of us
2: I think for those of us in the workplace this is this is a really valid question Because we feel like we got a target on our back from God because we're the only representatives. And we got a target on our back from work because we have that social stigma. But um, the truth of the matter is, is that God's already at work. And if you feel like you're carrying God in the workplace, then you've got it wrong. And you can let that go. Because God is already at work. And if you let it go and you just listen to the Spirit... All of a sudden, your world will open up. People will come to you. They will want to hear what you have to say because you're not carrying God in. He's already there, and they're able to hear his voice because you're not talking too much. And, and really, that's that's the bottom line, praying over your workplace, going in early and just praying over your workplace so that you start to see others the way that God does Um, I know that there was a point in my life where I had a job that I felt like I was carrying God in. And one day I just said, I can't make you work here. You have to do it yourself. And all of a sudden, um, over the next two weeks, it's like everything flipped. And I would be delivering a piece of paper, and someone would want to pour out their heart on things that were going on in their life. And it wasn't my opportunity to share Jesus it was my opportunity to be a human with them, to identify with them, and then to show them where I would go for a resource. So I would it would be something like, man, that is a really hard situation you're in. Do you mind if I keep you in prayer? Mm-hmm. I have a friend right now who's, who emailed and said, I may not be at, at meetings, because um, she got a diagnosis with cancer. Well, I she I know she's not a person of faith, and she doesn't have people of faith in her life. So I didn't say, I know God, and let me pray for you. I said, I'm a person of faith. Do you mind if I keep you in my prayers? Because it was inviting her to say yes, mm-hmm. right, to that first step. It It's very gentle of just knowing this is an opportunity to move them from, one little step to another and most of the time it's that god is at work and he's accessible
0: yeah well that's the jesus way with people who were christians he was very straight very like to the point and right right in your face with those that were far from god he had that more of a casual approach not neglectful obviously but just there what about some of the things you, so and i like what you said about recognizing god is already at work because he's he's everywhere so it's that responsibility of I need to be prayed up. I need to be aware of God. What are you doing, and what would you like for me to do to respond to the Spirit? Uh, w- w- one of the other questions that we got is, it was basically the question: What do I do if somebody asks me a question that I don't know? You know, um, I don't feel like I know my Bible enough, or they ask me about this, or it's, it's, it's about one of the social issues that are going on, and that maybe I know that we have disagreement on, or um, how do we handle that kind of perception where I'm afraid of being asked a question that I don't know the answer to? or that I know it's gonna be a tough question?
2: I would just join them in their humanity. They're asking questions as they have questions and it depends on where I'm at on the issue. Um, and But most of the time I still find a way to express even this, my stronger opinions in grace. But the most important part is that you're human and you don't know, you really don't. You're not God, you don't have a 360 degree view. So you admit what you don't know But you might say, in order to find that out, this is what I would do. Right. Mm -hmm. And Google, it turns out, is kind of a rude way to tell people (laughs) what, but you know.
0: (laughs) Go ahead.
1: Well, I think also when we develop, um, there's a great little book called Humble Inquiry. If you want to learn how to ask really good questions, um, and this is not just about questions about faith or anything. This is just about good relationship building skills, good interpersonal skills. And this book talks about doing exactly what Kim just just illustrated, not saying, Well, I'm gonna pray for you and I'm gonna do this. Instead, in that situation with her friend, she's saying, I'm a person that would you mind? That's that's a, a position of humility that we take with other people to say, Would you mind? Or could would you tell me more about this? You know, and develop a genuine curiosity about people. I mean if you want to grow in your inner person in your marriage, in your friendships, in you know, your school really I mean, learn how to be a good question asker mm-hmm. because most people are never asked, what do you think about? What do, you, what do you feel about this? What are? How are you processing this? Just ask questions. You're in the Lord, look for those entry points and listen to the Holy Spirit speak to you. His Holy Spirit lives in you and gives you the power to be His witnesses, and that's that's the whole purpose of the of being filled with the Spirit. He empowers you and He lives in you so that you can have an ongoing conversation with the Lord, while you're having an ongoing conversation here. Yeah. And you learn as a person of faith to be able to say, okay, God, what are what would be your heart in this situation? What would be, what would be what you would want me to share with this person? What is that thing that you want them to feel about how you care for them right now? And you're listening for what the Lord says at the same time that you're engaging in this kind of conversation and asking, just developing curiosity about people and, and look and see how, how people will open up for that. I think, too, another part of that is so much of what we talk about in mentoring and and discipleship and helping people follow Jesus is really so much more life on life, like in the moment, not just something I do in a period of time, but as I'm living my life. There were a lot of questions about what does this look like in my home and for my kids and how do I develop time for all of this? Well, if you see this process unfolding as you are going, then God will bring those opportunities to us. And that's why he said, go into all the world and make disciples. And the the essence of that, it's not go and make disciples. It's as you are going, in the process of your going, you're going to make disciples. My intentionality in my heart is to make disciples wherever I find myself. So if I'm in my home and I'm talking with my kids, I'm not trying to make this highly programmatic thing happen in my home. It's just as they're coming in and saying, hey, mom, this thing is going on at school. It's like, man, well, what, what are you feeling like Jesus is saying to you about that? Mm-hmm. You know, I love the two questions that you talk about a lot mm-hmm. as it relates to, to this process of following Jesus and discipleship. What is God asking you to do, and what are you going to do about it? Those are two great questions. Well, what is God asking? Naomi's sharing something with me. Naomi, what is God, is saying? What is God saying to you about that? That's a humble inquiry. Yeah. What is God saying to you about this? Now, how are you going to respond to that? What do you think your next step is? If we trust God's at work, it really is that simple.
0: And it's, and it's really listening. I mean, you, you look at how, off, how good Jesus was at asking a good question, those next questions, and then listening and following up. And uh, I, I found this. If you're willing to listen, everybody's going to be your friend because no one listens anymore. <laughs> you know, And as you're asking a question, don't ask a question and go, I can't wait till they breathe because I've got my next three points just to throw at them. <laughs> Uh, people can smell an agenda coming a mile away, yeah. and really, my experience has been, if you can get people talking and just listening and processing, like, you, you know, like I had somebody ask a question to me once, and it, it was when I worked, worked in the coffee house, and they said, well, you, you know, what would God say about this that I'm doing in my life? And I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, as I'm doing the latte art, you know, And in the moment I went, what do you think God would say about that in your life? And they paused and they got a little choked up, you know? And I was like, I was like, Holy Spirit, thank you for giving me that question. (laughs) Because they got thinking and processing, what do you think? And then they said, and like, well, do you think God would say that? And I was like, well, I don't think God would say that. Here's what I I would think. And there were some challenges of like just feeling like God would never accept them, that God hated them and I was able to come in after the process and go here's what God would say. He made you and he loves you and he wants to be reconnected with you. That's not now that's something I could have never created but that that question, what do you think God is asking? What do you think God would say about this? You know, and then they process and they talk and it gives an opportunity to get to the core because a lot of times like this is what Jesus did. He said, you know, you're asking this question but here's the real question. And a lot of it is people feel like there's They've been re- rejected by God. They've done so much that God will never forgive them. Could we ever do something that God can't forgive? No way, okay? The grace of God is huge and significant. And I think a lot of this is it just comes down to thinking, not feeling pressure to do all that. And I, and I know we've gone a little bit long today, but, but it really just comes down to those, those questions that Stephanie talked about. When you're walking with somebody, and we're going to be talking more about this, but when we're walking together, here are the two key questions, and just just to kind of wrap this up, what is God speaking to you? Like, think about it. If somebody asked you that, that question, you know, what is God speaking to you? Well, that makes you think. That makes you think, am I hearing God? Can I hear God? I've had someone tell me one time, I can hear God. God will speak to me, and that became the whole next months and months of our discussion. And then the follow-up is, what are you going to do about it? See, I'm not telling you. I'm processing with you, getting to process out. And at the end of that, a lot of times the question will come, well, what do you think I should do? But it's after this process and walking it through. So um, so thank you. Last question, how do you
1: deal with damaging
0: discipleship? What's that? How do you deal with discipleship? Oh, you should I use the microphone. Yeah, I, there was one <laughs> other
1: question on here that I think is really important, and it was how do you deal with or avoid damaging discipleship? Ooh. Okay. And I just want to quickly just, just give a word of caution. If you have been wounded in a situation where someone should have been walking a little more faithfully alongside of you, how many of you have ever had that happen? Where someone tells you something that really cuts you deep and not because it's, it's backed by Holy Spirit conviction. It was just backed by a lot of human opinion or I want you to do this. And so therefore I'm going to tell you these things about you. I've been there if that happens, my encouragement to you is don't disengage in the process. Don't disengage with the body of Christ. We're going to wound each other. You know, it's that that unconfronted life that, that we were talking about. That, that that is the challenge. And if Satan can isolate us, um, then he can do even more damage in our lives in that area.
2: Yeah. I think also if we are we we stumble over our own humanity. And we feel like we've messed it up and welcome to the human race. God was not surprised and he has not left you and you keep going forward. It's when you build that wall and say, oh, I can't really talk to God now because I messed it up uh, that that's the damage when we keep it open here and we take it back to God and let him heal us. He heals he, we we return to the relationship in humility and and the whole thing brings everyone closer to Jesus. But building those walls where we don't let God talk to us, that's when the damage happens. Yeah.
0: You know, there are definitely toxic relationships that need to be taken care of. You know, it's 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 one, it's The body of Christ should operate in a way when those things happen, the body of Christ comes in to bring healing and to speak and accountability. And I've had to do those. I've had to talk to leaders where I've hopefully said it in a nicer way, but a straight way, that um, that's toxic what you're doing. That's controlling. That's trying to copy yourself. And we are not at to copy ourselves. We are out to point to Christ. But in community and family, just like we do with our kids and our kids with us, there are things that uh, my kids have had to say to me, you know, Dad, is that... Is that the right thing to do? And I've been like, no, I'm sorry, you know. But it's in that healthy relationship that we walk, that we bring health. And you come and you talk. Talk to me. Talk to, talk to your group leader. Talk to people in, in, in your group. Not about that, not gossiping. But you know what? I'm trying to, to find a good mentor that's a match. Or I'm trying to find a good group that's a good match for me. And just walking in that process. And if there's healing, let's walk in healing. Let's walk this out. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, um, I don't think we solved everything today, but I think we've gotten a lot closer. So uh, can we say thank you to Kim and Stephanie and for being here, coming out? And uh, I'd like to invite all of you to stand. I know we've gotten a little bit longer today, but I think it's important for us to, to, to respond as the worship team leads us in a song today. Here's a question I have for you today, and this question is very simple. What's your, what's your next step? As it relates to discipleship and as it relates to this process of growing in Christ, what next steps do you need to take today? I'm going to invite the worship team to lead us. You have a connection card in front of you where you can kind of process and journal. There's a prayer wall. Uh, we, uh, we put some new paper up because that's a great way to pray, and it was all full, and I was like, awesome. Maybe you need to go there. We have communion tables where you can come up and just take in the bread and the cup as a representation of jesus giving his life for us and receiving that before we rush out of this place today let's take a few moments just to reflect and say lord what would you speak to me today and what would you have me do about it amen we have prayer teams on the side they'd love to pray with you they'd love to talk with you you have confidentiality there but let's take a few moments to respond in prayer and in communion or maybe you want to turn to the person next to you and say Would you pray with me about this today? Let's take a few moments to respond.